uh, I was one of those weird kids in in high school who kind of imagined uh, how I wanted to to work or live in the future. And and so really early on in my working career, I wrote down, um, I started writing down my list of like preferences or habits for the eventual day when I had an executive assistant. Power to live more with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show back in 2016 to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean how they focus on productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience to enable them to do more of the stuff that they want to do and less of the stuff that they don't. After 241 shows, I've taken a pause from doing new interviews to reshare previous interviews. They were too good to not revisit. So please do bear in mind that this podcast might refer to events from the past as current or in the future. But rest assured that the stories, tips and advice shared by my guests continues to be pure gold. Hello, my name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Joseph Fung. Joseph is the CEO of Uvaro, a tech sales career accelerator and of Kite, a sales enablement platform purpose-built to provide sales teams with the information they need when they need it. Graduate of the University of Waterloo's Computer Engineering Programme, Joseph's a repeat founder and CEO, and with multiple successful exits, and speaks frequently on the topics of sales leadership, diversity, and corporate social responsibility. Back to the studio. Today, I'm interviewing Joseph Fung of Uvaro. Welcome, Joseph. Great to have you with me. Thanks for having me on, Joe. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. So start by telling us who you are, what you do, and crucially, where you do it. Sure. So uh, again, Joseph Fung. I'm based in Canada, just outside Toronto, and we run a career success platform. We help professionals move from other industries like tourism, retail, hospitality, and get them fantastic roles at tech companies. And we do that through the sales department. So we teach career success, sales techniques, and facilitate amazing introductions. It's a real blast. We get to change lives every day. So they're basically coming from roles that aren't IT, and they move and change, and you help them through that process. Is that how it works? Exactly. That's exactly it. Oh, wow. That's very exciting. And what sort of, I think you mentioned before we started recording, the sort of age range it's sort of people on their second career i suppose you know that's right yeah. we we receive uh i'd say it's about 15 20 percent of our members are recent you know college or university grads or or in some cases just high school haven't you know finished any college uh, but the majority the largest are people who are on their second or third role maybe they're you know 30 years old they've been working in retail hospitality and especially over the last year with uh, covid and the pandemic a, a lot of them are evaluating reevaluating what they want to yeah. do next yeah and so we, yeah. we help them with that transition yeah really sort of poised for the next phase i mean there's so much um, press out there about how there's going to be real skills shortages and how people as you say are looking at different roles you know some organizations have, have just expected people are going to come back and they've said actually no I'm not <laughs> now oh. I've experienced something different so what a what a great uh, opportunity for you in terms of helping those people transition into something new 
Well, it's, it's exciting because I think the part that's so rewarding is we get to help a lot of people, but it's really the opportunity for them. I mean, most of our, uh, most of the people who come to us are working in gig roles, part-time roles, fractional roles. And so the median, median salary that they had coming in was about 28,000 US. Um, so yeah. they're, you know, they're, they're not in a financially independent situation. Mostly a lot of them are renting and our grads and the roles that they land uh, are starting at $60,000. So on, on average, they're more than doubling their income. So it's, yeah. it really is a life-changing experience for so many of them. And it's, Every day we get somebody who picks up the phone and they let us know we've changed their lives. And as an entrepreneur, that's exciting. Mm. So I'm going to ask you where this has come from in a moment, but I'd just like to explore a bit more about what that sort of process is. So somebody's sort of, as you say, in retail, they want to change their job or maybe they haven't gone back to, to the job because the store's not open yet or, or whatever, and they come across you. What what happens? What, what transforms them? <laughs> How does that mm. work? Well, I mean, usually what happens is they, they don't start off by finding us. They, they start off by searching and applying for jobs. So they fire mm -hmm. resumes out to, to 50, 100 places, and uh, often they just get no callbacks uh, because yeah. they don't have any relevant experience or, or tech or, or they don't know how to, to phrase or position the resume or the opportunities in the right way. Uh, yeah. A lot of tech companies are very discerning, uh, and so that makes it hard for a job seeker to break in. Um, in our program, we run uh, 12 weeks of online training, uh, two hours a day, five days a week, and the training is a lot of workshopping, a lot of practice. And so it's everything from, you know, Zoom conversations on how you would talk about a product, how do you ask good, meaningful questions of potential clients, and how do you make sure that you're delivering value? Because in, in tech sales, it's not about persuading someone to buy something they don't need. It's about uncovering a need. And yeah. if they have a need that you could solve, this is great. Um, and then at, through the, the tail end of that 12-week program, we overlay it with a lot of career coaching. So there's a lot of personal branding, interview preparation, a lot of confidence building, a lot of practice so that when they go into an interview, they're, they're saying things they've said a dozen times already. And then we facilitate introductions. We track all of the tech sales jobs out there. Our, our database right now, I was looking this morning, has 504,000 open tech sales jobs. And we match what we know about those companies and those jobs with the skills and capabilities and interests of the individual. Um, so a, a good example, one of our, one of our recent grads, he was in the hospitality sector. He was a bartender. He managed a bar at a hotel. He did this for eight years. He was unfortunately let go due to COVID. Then through our program, our virtual internship, he landed at a software company selling scheduling software to hotels and restaurants and bars. <laughs> so his industry knowledge gave him this huge leg up. He was promoted inside six months. He's earning several times what he was before. He and his partner are buying a house. These are things he never could have looked at before. So yeah, when someone says, are you going to go back to the, the bartending role when COVID eases up? It's the right decision to say no, because it's, yeah. it's really transformed his life. Yeah. It, it strikes me as it's sort of a, a, a virtuous circle in that you've, you must attract people who are going to put in the time and effort because you are creating a whole program that they have to follow. Mm -hmm. which makes them better potential candidates at the end of it as well. So, you know, not every, this wouldn't be for everyone, would it? People, some people just wouldn't put in the time over that period of time um, and, and, and learn the things they need to learn. So it must attract some great people. And then once you've given them all of that extra help, I can't see how they, they would fail. I mean, it does sound amazing. 
It's really, really remarkable. Uh, and you hit the nail on the head. The effort is a big thing. Um, we actually only accept about 5% of the people who apply to our program. Right. Um, yeah. and, and right now, we actually see more applications than the largest college in the US. So yeah. huge volumes. We're, we're very selective. Uh, you know, whereas you know that college accepts a little over fifty percent, we we accept about five percent, um, and yes, uh, our grads go on and they tend to outperform their peers. So on average, they they ramp in about a third of the time and they achieve fifty percent more quota, which is great for their employer too. And for us, uh, we have payment options that are tied to income. So two thirds of our students don't actually pay any upfront tuition; they only pay once they've landed a job. So. Right. That's great for them, and we we benefit from that upside because we gear the uh, the payments to their actual salary as well. So yeah. If, yeah. if we can help them land a better role, we earn more as well. And do you work on the other side with the employers? Do you do you, do you work as a sort of agency for them as oh, well? We we do with some. Uh, yeah. However, what we've found is most employers who end up hiring one or two of our grads end up realizing how effective they are, and and then they ne network the stink out of our community, <laughs> and and that's great because our our real, our North Star, our primary customer is that professional. Um, yeah, that, yeah. I, I, I'm sure your audience you know, sees this every day. There's so few people out there who are vested in an individual's success. I mean, there's platforms like you know LinkedIn or social networks like Reddit or you know in, Indeed where you can look for a job. But with so many of these platforms, the professional is the product. You know, they're they're selling kind of eyeballs and clicks to to companies. And so we, we really focus on making sure that we're aligned to the individual because their success is really ours. Yes. Yeah. So where did this all come from? Man, it's a, a fun question because it, I'm a, I'm a tech entrepreneur. I've run five software companies and I'm, I'm a very introverted engineer. And so I never really thought I would be running a, uh, a sales training and, and career success uh, company. Uh, as I grew my companies, building sales teams was always, you know, one of the toughest pieces. Uh, and my most recent software company, we were building software for sales teams. We got to speak to all these sales leaders across North America, and they all had the same problem. And it was really refreshing to know it wasn't just me. And so that's where we knew the pain was on the employer side, you know, building good sales teams. Um, yeah. But I don't think we would have jumped in if I hadn't seen what my sister was going through. Uh, she is an amazing entrepreneur. She's owned a food company, a professional services company, a, a karate school. Uh, she's an adult educator. She has a master's. And yeah, she was going through some changes in her life and decided she needed to take a break from being the entrepreneur. And, and she wanted to be an employee for a while, you know, really apply her skills, but not carry the, the burden so she could focus on family a bit more. Yep. And she was seeing, you know, what I saw earlier, doors closed, no one offering an interview. And here's this individual that I've known for my entire life who's this remarkable person. And I see my peers in the tech industry not even giving her a chance. And I realized just how wrong that was. Mm. And we realized we were even uniquely, uniquely poised to help actually tackle this problem. And so her experience was actually our you know, inspiration. She was in our first class ended up joining us in a sales role. And now she's actually leveraging that master's of education as one of our trainers. And it's been such a delight getting to work alongside her every day. Well, wow, that's so lovely to hear. And what does that sort of, what, what, what does that look like for you in terms of um, 
what you're doing on a sort of day-to-day basis but also how the organization is set up I think we talked before we started that that you're working with remote workers and you and you always were and obviously the world's got used to that a bit now but (laughs) tell us how that works for you it's interesting in in many ways we're still structured very much like how a software or tech company would be structured Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of our our sales team and our marketing team we leverage a lot of very similar technologies we really focus on automation on you know, social networking, a lot of content. Uh, the part that's really different is, I think in a lot of technology companies, your product team is focused on building software. Um, for us, our product team is focused both on kind of software and tools, but also the curriculum. You know, how do we deliver really meaningful coaching, really meaningful knowledge, and how do we iterate and change every single time we run a program? So right now we do we've been doing monthly intakes for the last you know, year and a half. We've just moved to multiple intakes per month. And by the end of the year, we'll be doing weekly intakes. And every time we launch a cohort, we get that opportunity to revise the content, the curriculum, and make sure it adapts to the needs in the industry. Mm-hmm. So we're all online. We're on Zoom all the time. Uh, like we were laughing earlier, <laughs> like one of your earlier guests said, um, We've all got Zoom, but because we're sitting in front of our computers all day. (laughs) Uh, But the, I think the part that's been really fascinating and and, uh, gets our founding team really intrigued is that our, our systems are very efficient, but it's a very people oriented business. So we carry the weight of our students, like they they lift us up. And it's very fulfilling. But at the same time, there's a huge sense of responsibility. So we hear their trials or tribulations and Handling mental health of our team is probably one of our biggest challenges because it is a very uh, emotionally and mentally invested space. Mm. Yeah, and I guess you're, as you say, you you can you can be going from people being elated because they they've got that amazing job that they wanted, and to the opposite because they didn't get it, or or mm. starting with you because they haven't been able to get a job for such a long time, or or whatever. I mean, yeah, it must be definitely peaks and troughs. What do you do with within the organization to support the people that work with you? It, 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 candidly, it's one of the things we continue to evolve. So I don't think we've got all the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of things we've done, though, to help build more resilience in the organization. Um, I think the first thing that's been most helpful for us is really internalizing the fact that we don't have all the answers. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, very much like how we'd say our, our customers don't have all their answers and we're helping them. Um, we look to outside organizations to support us. So all of our managers, our leaders, and anyone in a customer-facing role, we put them through a mental health first aid uh, program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's a program to help them identify signals and signs in our clients, but also how do you protect yourself while you're helping somebody else manage a crisis? Uh, and so we rely on outside coaching and training to help bolster our team. Mm-hmm. Um, we practice regularly. Uh, and I think like any professional, if you're you're an athlete or, or a, a coach or a, a trainer, you need to be honing your craft. Uh, we do a lot of role play, a lot of practice, so that in the moment of kind of crisis or, or urgency, those skills and, and what to say and what to do are, are well practiced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we believe in, in defense in depth. And this is something that we've borrowed from the, the tech space uh, really clearly. Uh, so as opposed to just relying on one-on-ones with our teams, uh, and I'm sure anyone who's listening does one-on-ones with their 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 employees and their their colleagues, um, we also add in 
something called an executive buddy, where every person in our organization gets assigned an executive as a buddy who's not in their direct chain of command. And that person is just there as a check-in, a sounding board, uh, you know, friend to, to see how they're doing. Uh, and we add a third layer. We have an individual. She's in our, our people team. She's not in like an HR operator. She's not a recruiter. Her job is to have coffee dates. We call them hello friends. It's just mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the, uh, you know, the, the lunch meetups that we were talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Her job is just to catch up with them, hear what's going on, and then report back on the trends. So mm-hmm. very confidential conversations, and she can spot trends or patterns and bring them back to the executive team. So mm-hmm. we, we put a lot of instruments in place to keep an eye on how people mm-hmm. are doing mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And how do you manage that for yourself? Because you're in a, a high pressure role by the sound of it. I mean, you're not, you know, just pootling along as an organization. <laughs> <laughs> it's that is a tough one. Uh, again, honestly, it's something that I think I could do better at. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a counselor that I can trust and, and I chat with regularly. I'm also very fortunate in that I have two co founders that I know deeply. Uh, one is a, a high school friend that I've known for ages and ages. He uh, he he met his wife, his future wife, as a as a high school student at our house at one of our get-togethers. Like just very close, intimate friendship. Uh, and the the third co-founder is actually my other sister. So uh, people always say it's, if you have family involved in the business, that's a risky thing. But if it works, it works so well. And I'm yeah. very fortunate to have two co-founders that we can have very honest, raw conversations. And one of our core values has been push and. And we think about that as pushing each other to do better. So we never hesitate to really ask and say, hey, how, how are you doing? How are you holding up? What can I do to help? And they've been so instrumental to my own mental and emotional well-being. And hopefully I've been able to offer the same to them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a bit about your sort of personal productivity, how you work, what those days look like for you and how you make sure you get done what you need to get done. Man, it's... yeah. It's a fun, tough, challenging thing. I've got two small kids, you know, four and nine, and that's yeah. uh, full of delight and challenges. <laughs> I was before homeschooling. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it's so funny. We uh, uh, we had a, a good friend who who characterized it as every parent he knows is pretending to put the kids uh, into online school class, so it feels like home fooling because you're really just trying to fake the teachers out. Um, <laughs> I'm my my secret desire is that summer camp can't start soon enough because I'm, I'm looking forward to getting them out of the house. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing better than that. I'm the one leaving. I'm going off in my caravan. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's what we, we need summer camp for the parents, you know, just yeah. <laughs> take us. <laughs> uh, but personal productivity is a, is a challenge. Um, I, I rely so heavily on my tools uh, very, very much. So my calendar is my, my go-to and I've, I've put so much effort into figuring out my routines and my optimization so that I can race through my day bravely with confidence. So things like I've configured my calendar to require uh, five minute breaks between events. Um, I've pulled all my meetings in so that when you put something in for an hour, it actually puts it in for 50 minutes. Uh, I use color coding and uh, I automatically hook up uh, Zoom meetings for each of the events. and. Uh, I rely on a lot of the external calendaring tools. You could use things like Calendly, HubSpot, anything like that. So yeah. if if we're booking a meeting, others can book it. Um, and uh, 
on top of that, a lot of you know, Zapier and automation, effectively my calendar is so heavily automated. Uh, what that lets me do is I can, at a glance, look at my day and just race forward bravely, knowing that all the information I have is in there. Um, mm -hmm. And along with that, I'll actually use that, that kind of sense of calendaring to schedule emails. So one of my go-to things is to find an, an hour, two hours of productivity, uh, fire out a ton of emails, but instead of sending them out all immediately, being very intentional about when they're scheduled. So for example, if I know that I need to remind my team of uh, you know, information for a meeting the day before, rather than putting a reminder in my calendar, I'll draft the email now, but schedule it for that day yeah. to yeah. go out. Um, and those two things together have given me uh, a fairly reasonable control over my, my calendar. And that's given me the ability to carve out time for personal activities and interests better because mm -hmm. I feel like I've made really good use of optimizing the time I've allocated for work. Yes. Yeah. And it sounds really, really organized. <laughs> I'm very impressed. <laughs> it's, it's been a, an iterative process. I think, yes. uh, uh, I was one of those weird kids in, in high school who kind of imagined, uh, how I wanted to, to work or live in the future. And, and so really early on in my working career, I wrote down, um, I started writing down my list of like preferences or habits for the eventual day when I had an executive assistant. Uh, and uh, it, I've not heard anyone say that before on the podcast. I'm impressed oh, with that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I look back and I'm like, wow, wow. Uh, if, if, if I met, uh, uh, you know, Joseph back then, I'd be like, wow, you are one, one nerdy kid. Um, but as a side effect, uh, when I, I first started working with an EA, uh, I had this very robust document that talked about things like, uh, well, what are what are my uh, like everything from my passport to how I use my calendar to where where's convenient to meet a coffee shop or you know what are my dietary restrictions, and every time I've given that to an executive assistant, they've been so grateful because it just outlined everything that they needed to to learn organically about yep. their executive. Yeah. Um, and then they added to it. And, and now the document's about 12 pages and it's full of silly little things like uh, gifts that I've bought for family members in the past or things that they mentioned that they liked or uh, places that uh, a client mentioned I should visit next time I'm in their city. And it's, yeah. it's a real treasure trove now. And so uh, starting to document that early proved to be a really big help later on in my career. Yeah, that sounds so so interesting. I, I'm thinking, what would I have done? Did I do that? No, if anything, I was probably daydreaming about having a housekeeper and I still haven't got one of those <laughs> I have to do my own cooking I, you know that that thing that meme that goes around about um uh who knew being an adult was having to come up with a different interesting meal every night or something <laughs> yeah. as, as regular listeners know I never get the quotes quite right but but that you know that feeling of that is the bit that I probably would have planned ahead for <laughs> it, it's it's always funny how life uh, uh it, it it doesn't turn out how we'd expect, but sometimes those little kernels that you drop in, you know, you come to fruition later. And yeah. I always find that such a delightful surprise because it it feels like we had some modicum of control over where we ended up. Yes, yeah, yeah. So you talked um, about sort of technology and tools um, and 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 the getting things done. Um, I, I don't think you said specifically how you you, you what you use for that. Do you, do you have a, a task list? Do you use particular tools is are you one of my pen and paper people <laughs> so i'm very much the opposite of pen and paper 
Um, Good. There's only about three of us on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the the closest that I use though is I do use a whiteboard. I, I have a small tabletop whiteboard that I'll use for yeah. those very brief thoughts, and uh, uh, I I love it because it gives me that quick accessible you know ability to jot something down. Um, but it's innately transient because even if I don't wipe it off, my my daughter will come in and wipe it off to draw something. Mm. Uh, so it forces me to put it into a, a system. Mm. Uh, for for task tracking and for tooling, uh, I very much believe in automation, and so I tend to use things like Trello uh, or for more complex things, more project management tools. We'll use things like uh, Jira, uh, and that's that's because it'll allow me to automate follow-ups, workflows, everything from email reminders to setting up meetings to publishing documents. I uh, mm -hmm. the technologist in me really pushes towards automation and. Mm -hmm. It really is. An, it's an amazing world right now on how much of your work can be automated. Yes. Um, but it, I think a lot of it comes from just that in personal desire to always scratch something off the list. Um, one of the things I work with my team a lot is is kind of mentally, how do you get your team or yourself as an individual happy enough with the product that you could say, I'm mentally scratching this off the list so I can stop worrying about it. And mm -hmm. uh, if, for me, I think the tools like Trello, like Jira, are helpful, but more importantly, mentally scratching it off your list so you can stop allocating mental effort to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it's funny talking about sort of automation and and systems and and so on. I uh, I can't remember if I've said before on here, but I um I often I'll do something and I think ah. I'm going to make a note of that and what that process was for next time or or oh, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll create a, a folder of bookmarks for the, that task so that I can open all those screens at the same time. And I go to do it and realize I did that last time. <laughs> <laughs> so I create the process, then I forget it's there and then I do it all again and then think, oh, I must create a process for this. And then I realize I've already done it. <laughs> so eventually <laughs> I remember and it does save me time. But um Often it's taken a few goes before I realize that I actually have cracked this already. hundred <laughs> uh, percent. And what's really neat is that when you do figure out the, the actions that you need to take, there's a ton of tools out there you can use to automate it. Uh, mm -hmm. So for our marketing, we use things in HubSpot, uh, amazing workflow tools within the, the HubSpot platform and Zapier to integrate. And, and those are, I think, a lot of the obvious ones that, you know, you're, you're, service providers or, or website partners uh, would know how to do. Mm. Uh, but there's some really cool ones like Phantom Buster, uh, cool little tool that lets you automate what you do as you click around and browse around the web. So you can do things like if you like network and you like using LinkedIn, you can use Phantom Buster to automate what you would normally do by, you know, searching, finding the person's name, doing a LinkedIn invitation, following them, uh, you can begin that process and then use tools like Phantom Buster to automate the rest of that work. So mm -hmm. uh, the the automation can really be powerful. Um, if you're doing email outreach, we use tools like SalesLoft because you might template your outreach, but the effort of opening and sending and personalizing 50 emails is time intensive. You know these tools, you know, let you start the process, and the moment you hit send. You know, it'll automatically pull up your template pre-created, pre-populated with the next person. So all you need to do is personalize, send, personalize, send. So I'm a very firm believer in that routine effort we do. If you spend 15, 20 minutes to find a tool, you can save yourself 15, 20 minutes every single time you do that. And mm -hmm. it has this amazing compounding effect. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. 
And what about um, looking after yourself and, and ensuring you have your full energy for your um, your role? You've talked a bit about your sort of mental health side of things. How do you keep yourself physically healthy? Um, the, the two things that I lean towards are uh, diet, but also where I spend my time. Um, uh-huh. Diet's an interesting one. Our, our son has a medical condition where he's on the ketogenic diet. Uh, and I know you were you're speaking about diets in a couple of episodes, and it's been interesting watching how that's impacted the rest of our family because we've adopted a lot of similar diets to accommodate that. So we're yeah. very, very intentional about what we eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting side effect is that it's uh, it, all of those nice things about eating healthier, but it's also just made us much more attentive. So the side effect meant I'm, I'm consuming less caffeine and less sugar, and, and that's a real delight. Um, but I also need to look after my uh, kind of mental well-being. And so I try to carve out time for the pastimes that bring me joy. And for me, that's, you know, working on music. Uh, so with the kids underfoot, with, you know, the business underfoot, mm-hmm. it's always hard to find that time. But uh, typically once a week, I'll be able to carve out a good two or three hours to work on some of the music creation that I do. And uh, it, it, none of it is very good at all, but it's a way to exercise my creativity and keep myself grounded because yeah. uh, I'm such an introverted person. I need to have that alone time and, and that helps me stay healthy. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that, that bit about sort of making that time that I think there's so many people who have things that they'd like to do and just don't get around to doing it because it just feels like it's too you know, busy or they just don't have time or, or whatever. So um, I've noticed I talk a lot about the fact that I sing as part of my sort of mental health and well-being because it's really good for you physically. Um and then I keep remembering that I don't actually sing that often at the moment because <laughs> for some reason I play the piano nearly every day because I put the kettle on and I play whilst it's boiling, but I don't have a trigger to sing. I have to sort of stop everything and make an effort for it. So I came up with a good one last week because I keep wanting to walk more as well. And I'm not very good at doing that and motivating myself to leave the house. So I thought well, if I don't walk, I have to sing then at least I'll have done something that day that's really good. Oh, nice. I, I love that. The, <laughs> so, the mental tricks to make sure we, we carve out that space is so valuable. Yeah, um, yeah. And also the other thing that I, I've taken up, <laughs> this is going to sound really sad, I've taken up knitting again during lockdown. And um, <laughs> there are lots of times when I didn't do very much of it. In fact, I, I laugh as well. I never wear anything I knit. I just enjoy the process of knitting it. <laughs> But um, I, I have a friend who lives opposite and uh, if I go over for a coffee or whatever, I've started taking my knitting with me because we're only sitting nice. and drinking and talking. So I might as well do some knitting. And then that feels like I'm, you know, extra sort of um, productive and uh, achieving things whilst also enjoying myself. <laughs> I, I, it's funny. You said you didn't, uh, you're not, you don't wear them, but I mean, going with your friend, I think is a good way to hold yourself accountable to it. I, I yeah. found same thing. I struggled to carve out the time to, to work on my music. And my brother-in-law is the one who pushed me to say, Hey, you, you should put that stuff up on Spotify. And of course I'm mortified about the idea because you know, people, people will judge. It's not very good. Yeah. Uh, but once I got over that hurdle, uh, you know, the reality is I put it up on Spotify and I've probably got, you know, two listeners, both of them are my kids. Uh, <laughs> it, every so often somebody will ask, Hey, you know, have you got anything that you'd put up recently? And even just seeing it and knowing that uh, my most recent uh, project is two months old or, yes. or three months old, it really helped me prioritize like, oh, I got, I've got to keep this up. Um, yes. Yeah. So you're getting, getting together with your friends is uh, likely having the, the same effect for you. Yeah, exactly. And then I ruined it because I, I also knit when I watch like films and things and I've just started watching this French 
um, thing on Netflix about an estate agency company. And of course, it's in French with subtitles. So I have to look at the screen. <laughs> So, so not much knitting goes on while that's on so that doesn't work so well although my French is reasonably good so I probably should just practice listening and uh, and do that at the same time so what sort of music are you composing playing so so mostly what I'm making is the electronic music I do a lot of, so I played in uh, I played a lot of uh, saxophone and clarinet uh, as I was growing up so a lot yeah. of jazz music mm -hmm. um, and so you know, while most of my music would be classified as a, I suppose, deep house or techno, uh, I spend a lot of time just experimenting. So trying to pull in, you know, jazz music or or saxophone riffs and mix them in with uh, what would be a more uh, recognizable electronic music track. So yeah. it, all computer yeah. work, uh, a little bit of my own recording, but it's fun and it's creative and uh, my kids like dancing to it. So I'm yeah. doing something. Well, I had somebody on the show recently, maybe not a listen for you because it will be different to type of music, but uh, Jack Stafford, and he's he calls himself a modern day troubadour, and he's launched a podcast where he interviews his guests and immediately finishes the interview, he records a song about them. And then, wow. um, and then it gets played out and it's on Spotify. So every sort of 12 weeks, he's got another album on Spotify and, um, yeah, and the you know he might be talking to I don't know some sort of um, hippie I don't know meditation type person one week, which you sort of think oh I can imagine the sort of music he might be composing, and then like next week he might be talking to some like real hard nosed business person, wow. <laughs> and he composes a song for them as well, and and so on and so forth. So uh, yeah, very very interesting. Uh, uh, too much pressure, I feel. I mean. It's, you know, it's lovely to interview people like we are now, but to finish the call and then have to <laughs> write a song. <laughs> I, I am nowhere near that kind of a level, but I am definitely checking that because that sounds amazingly inspirational. Jack yeah, Stafford, yeah. Modern Troubadour. Thank you. <laughs> lovely. So what about learning and improving yourself? How do you keep yourself moving forwards and, and improving? Oh man, a large part of what, what I believe in is that you've got to play with your edges, push yourself outside your comfort zone, whatever, you know, metaphor or, or mm -hmm. adage you want to use. Um, uh, my personal pastimes, my work pastimes are all focused on the idea of, of pushing my own boundaries of learning. Uh, so if I'm working on something like my music, I'm always trying, you know, new techniques, uh, pulling in, you know, songs or, or tracks that I haven't you know used or worked with before. And then likewise, in at the work side of things, we're always pushing to exceed what we've done before. Yeah. Um, in terms of the the techniques or the tools, uh, in all honesty, one of the biggest things I found is being really humble with my own capabilities and being very comfortable letting people know where I'm uh, less competent. Uh, a, a really good example to to make this more real. I've run five software companies, and they've all been business to business software. This is an area that I feel very comfortable with. Right now, though, you know, with Uvaro, we're really, you know, our customers are individuals who are going through, you know, life changes. It's very much a consumer company, and this is not an area that's my deep experience. So I'll often reach out to other founders or CEOs or investors and just be really honest. Hey, would you be up for having a conversation? Uh, I'm happy to open my network to you, but my experience is all B2B software, and I'd love to hear from your experience to see what I'm missing or what I don't know. And mm -hmm. when... When I can let go of that that ego or that fear or that anxiety, um, it's easier to get to a deeper conversation, and then I learn more because now there's no expectation of being an expert. I could just be a sponge, uh, and it's very very freeing. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So last couple of questions. The uh, first one is, what about those days where it all goes horribly wrong? How do you deal with those? It's tough. I, I, I've heard you ask other guests uh, <laughs> and I've reflected a lot on it because if I had to pick something that I'd like to improve right now, the way I handle those days or setbacks is a big one. Um, in all honesty, the thing that helps me the most is either asking the kids for a hug or if they're in bed, taking some real deep alone time. So if tossing on the headphones, listening to some music, soaking in a bath, uh, as an introvert, getting that time where there's, uh, you know, no dependency or expectations on me, just a chance to recharge and fuel my tank, uh, mm -hmm is really, really helpful. Uh, but it means taking that time. Uh, and often that's the toughest part, because I'm sure you see the same thing as an entrepreneur, you struggle, hey, this time can help me as an individual, or it could help the business and our clients. And it, balancing those two is always such a tough decision. So it's it, mm -hmm. candidly something I struggle with a lot. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some good suggestions in there. I don't think many people have said bath, actually, which is where one of the things I would, I would do as well. So <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, I am transcribing all these answers in the, in the intention of writing a book, but I've not got that far. <laughs> Deep, hot, hot bath. Just, mm. yeah, you can't, it's really hard to be angry in a bath. I find it's really <laughs> challenging. But you do sometimes get out far too hot. <laughs> I, I sometimes have them in the mornings because um, I told you before we started that I, uh, I'm a bit of a night bird and I don't uh, mm. do much in the mornings. And uh, and then I turn up at some sort of networking at 11 or 12 or a coaching session and I cannot stop sweating because the bath was too hot. <laughs> it, it's funny, the, the heat growing up, um, one of the things that my, my parents had said was that they they put a sauna in the house when we were younger and whenever they had an argument or they're in a bad mood, they would turn on the sauna and go go and sit and enjoy the sauna because they said it was so hard to be angry at each other when you were sitting sweating in a sauna. And yeah, yeah. so I've got it on my list of things to eventually add to, to the home would be, you know, a sauna just so that uh, when I'm having one of those days or having one of those uh, situations, uh, I can go in and soak in the heat more. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then the last question, those days where you get to live more, and that's how I describe um, time where you get to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't want to do. What do those days look like for you? Uh, it, this, it, <laughs> I thought long and hard, and the answer that hits me most feels so cliched, but it's talking to customers. And it's, it's not that, uh, as an entrepreneur, talking to your customers is great, but the thing that's hit me so much with this business is that we're really materially changing lives. And I've always run business companies, business to business, where maybe we're helping someone's website work better or their marketing campaign work better. And that's rewarding. But we have customers every week who come to us and say, you've saved my life. You've changed my life. We have customers uh, putting videos on TikTok of them dancing because their classes make them so happy. And when you hear that, it's really hard to not have your bucket overfilled with, with joy and delight. And so I feel like that most often when I've spoken to several customers and I hear what they're accomplishing and, you know, what that means to them. And, you know, I, I wish more people had the good fortune to have those kind of conversations with clients because it's really mm. so fulfilling. Mm, lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. And um, tell people how they can find out more about you and get in touch. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, our, our website has everything about our business and me, and that's uvaro, uvaro.com. And I always love connecting with other entrepreneurs or founders, especially those who are helping people accomplish their dreams. So people can reach out to me individually. I'm on 
most social platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Joseph Fung, all one word mashed together. Uh, so mm -hmm. yeah, reach out. We'd love to chat. Brilliant. Thanks, Joseph. It's been great talking to you today. Thanks for your time. Likewise, Joe. Thank you. Use your power to live more.